If you're headed to DragonCon, which is September 2nd through the 5th in Atlanta, Georgia, then join us on Friday, September 2nd at 7 p.m. until 10 p.m. Eastern Time over at the Joystick Game Bar. The Joystick Game Bar is located at 427 Edgewood Avenue Southeast in downtown Atlanta. Over at the Joystick Game Bar, we are going to have a 90s cosplay-themed event, so dress up in your best 90s attire. And we're going to have a contest. So the best winner of our cosplay contest will get some really great prizes, courtesy of Joystick Game Bar. So check us out. Friday, September 7th, starting at 7 p.m., ends at 10 p.m., over at the Joystick Game Bar in Atlanta. See you at DragonCon. Hi, I'm Andre Meadows. I have a YouTube channel, Black Nerd Comedy. Have you heard of it? Don't matter, because you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, the best podcast in the whole world that I'm doing a promo for right now. Boom! (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is Sam Benjamin, star, writer, and producer of superhero web series The Few. And you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hi, this is Daryl Bell from Planet Earth. Now, actually, I'm from a different world, school days, and, well, Chicago. There you go. I'm from there, too. And it's a joy and a pleasure to be here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Gary Anthony Williams, a.k.a. Uncle Rocker. This is your Uncle Rocker. All right, now I'm starring at Bebop and Teenage Mood and Ninja Turtles out of the shadows. And you is listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Why the hell they let black women have a podcast? I will never know. Hi, this is Maya G from Rain, a fan film about Storm. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Sujata Day. I'm playing Sarah on Insecure. And you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Peace, y'all. What's up? This is Akil, the MC from the Jurassic 5, and you are now tuned in to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yeah, I like nerdy girls. Thanks for tuning in to episode 85 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. 
My name is Jamie, and I am your host. This episode is titled Moxie McGriff and Luke Cage. Two segments. In our first segment, we invite nine-year-old Natalie McGriff. She created a comic book at the age of seven called The Adventures of Moxie McGriff. And we chat with her about why she came up with this idea for a comic book, and as well as how she's inspired other young girls such as herself to start reading comics as well as creating ones on their own. That segment is co-hosted by Grace, Kayla, and Tora. In our second segment, at San Diego Comic-Con, Connie and I did a press roundtable featuring the actors from Netflix's latest Marvel TV show, Luke Cage. A new trailer just dropped last week, and new episodes premiere on September 30th. We chat with showrunner Cheo Hadari Coker, actor Mike Coulter, the head of Marvel Television Joseph Loeb, as well as actors Simone Missick, Theo Rossi, Frank Wally, Mahershala Ali, and Alfre Woodard. So Luke Cage fans, hold on to your seats for this one. Should be a really fun segment for you. So that's it. Thanks again for tuning into this episode. Be sure to always subscribe to our channels, whether you're listening to us through Google Music, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Subscribe, follow, share, let everybody know what's going on with this podcast. And thanks for your continued, continued support of each and every episode. And don't forget to use the hashtag BGM podcast that puts you in the feed with other users that are live tweeting our shows and chatting about them on Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in and hope you enjoy the show. The Adventures of Moxie McGriff is a children's book inspired, designed, and co-written by nine-year-old Natalie McGriff. Natalie is a delightfully funny brown-skinned girl who previously suffered from low self-esteem regarding her hair texture and skin tone. Through much encouragement and constant adulation from family and friends, Nat's esteem began to rise and she's now proud to be herself. Her goal is to create positive images of girls of color causing them to take pride in themselves. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm really excited for the guests that we have on. I have been a fan of comics over the years, but I've never had the opportunity to interview a nine-year-old comic book creator, and we have Natalie McGriff here. She is the creator of The Adventures of Moxie McGriff. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. You're welcome. And I am joined here with lovely co-hosts Grace, Kayla, and Tora. Thank you, ladies, so much for coming on. Yes, hello. (laughs) So, so Natalie, I, I want to ask you, this is such a great comic. I am so inspired by the fact that you decided to just go out there and create something of your own. What inspired you to create Moxie McGriff? And can you tell us a little bit about Moxie's story? What inspired me to write the book was I didn't like to read and I didn't love my hair. 
so I didn't like the way I was. The story is about a girl who saves the libraries with her natural hair with Afro puffs and superpowers that are fire and ice. Wow, that's awesome. Cool. So, you know, Natalie, it's, it's really important to see ourselves, you know, reflected in stories, and you did that by creating Moxie McGriff. How have other black girls responded to this comic? Um, they're now writing books and loving the way they are and loving their hair. That is so inspiring. That's awesome. Cool. And, um, yes, I definitely want to commend you for this awesome comic. I've actually uh, ordered it and picked it up and read it several times. So great job on that. Um, it's a powerful representation of uh, black girl magic. And being that Moxie is an example of a little girl superhero, if you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Um, my superpower would be fire and ice. Cool. And why would you pick fire and ice? Uh, because you can, like, in my book, I freeze and, like, can destroy people that are being, like, wrong and trying to do bad things. I like. I like that. Good stuff. Okay. And then I also noticed that in addition to selling the comic, you also sell T-shirts, accessories, so what else do you um, want to do with the character? Maybe possibly a TV show or maybe Moxie Dolls? Well, we're making a TV show, and I was I wanted to do, like, book bags, headbands, stuff like that. And oh, maybe wow. Back. Okay, cool. I like that. So have you gotten to meet any of the people you look up to? And if you did, what was that experience like? I look up to First Lady Michelle Obama, uh, and I saw First Lady Michelle Obama at the United States of Women's Summit. Wow. that experience like? Amazing, because I've never seen her in person. That's great. So why do you think it's important that comic characters look like the people that read them? Because not all little girls see themselves and everything and they compare themselves to different people. And so that they can love themselves and have confidence in them in their own selves. That's amazing. What was your first reaction to seeing yourself drawn as this adorable character? Kind of happy because I didn't... Because my mom told me that I was going to get like drawn in a book but like I I thought it was like just regular stick drawing or whatever (laughs) that's that's so cool so you said that you originally didn't like to read and you didn't like the way your hair looked so since doing this comic how has it changed you how has it changed the way that you see yourself now because when I wrote it I didn't like my hair or like to read but now I love to read and like my hair oh that's great (laughs) that's really awesome Natalie this is great we really enjoyed talking with you about Moxie McGriff's adventures can you let us know let our listeners know where they can find your comic yes you can find my comic book on moxiemcgriff.com and you can also find it on Amazon
Excellent. And then are you on Twitter, Facebook? Where can we find you on, on the Internet? I'm on Twitter at Moxie Girl Comics. I'm on Instagram at The Adventures of Moxie Girl. And I'm on Facebook. This is amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming on our show. It's inspiring. And I'm so happy that you decided to take the initiative to create a comic book where you can see images of girls like you reflected in it it's so inspiring and hopefully other girls your age will not only read your comic but also be inspired to start creating comics of their own so thank you so much natalie you're welcome luke cage is an upcoming tv series developed by netflix executive produced by cheo hadari coker based on the marvel comics character of the same name It's set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which ties and shares continuity between Daredevil and Jessica Jones, which will eventually lead up to a Defenders crossover miniseries. Mike Coulter stars as Luke Cage, Mahershala Ali stars as Cottonmouth Stokes, Simone Missick plays Misty Knight, Theo Rossi plays Shades, Alfre Woodard plays Mariah Dillard, and Frank Wally plays Raphael Scarf. Each of those actors, including the head of Marvel Television, Joseph Lieb, is featured in this segment. This was a roundtable interview, so just keep in mind that there is a lot of ambient background noise between other interviewers at the table surrounding us, so you may hear a little bit of feedback there. And also, what I'll do is just make a quick whisper announcement before each segment when we switch roundtables. And again, because of the background noise, some of us as press... Even though I did ask questions myself, Connie, who was there, asked questions, and other outlets asked questions, you don't get to hear it because of a lot of background noise. So I had to cut that out and just play the responses to each respective question. So just keep in mind that you're going to hear the actors giving answers to questions that you didn't hear. Um, But it's pretty clear and you can understand exactly what they're talking about. So all you Luke Cage fans, I think you're going to really love this segment. Enjoy. Never gamble with um, Cheo Hadari Coker and Mike Coulter. And never name a show after Elite After. <laughs> with the exception of Mike Coulter. Because the thing is, is that as, as Luke Cage, um, he just, oh my God. I mean, well, first off, I've been trying to take a bad picture of the brother for a, a year. And it's impossible. He's always backlit. You, you'll notice like these photos, even when he sits down, it's like, he, he looks amazing. But the thing is, is that he just so embodies the character. And, you know, ultimately, as a quarterback for, for the entire team, he really, um, he leads by example, but he's fun. He's jovial. Everyone has a... You know, when, when he's on set, it's like it's fun. At the same time, he knows his lines, which I mean, I know that sounds cliche, but it's so important that you have actors that are invested in the show and and on everyone's time because when you don't, that's when you get the delays and that's when bad feelings happen. I mean, he's just he's the next level, and um, I don't know. I mean, so have you guys seen all seven? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Hello. 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 I just had a little snack, so I got some energy, buddy. See? Oh. Or as I always say, see, before and after. <laughs> he's, he's hard on himself. He's, yeah. you know, he's aging gracefully. I was going to pass what I thought. You said sure. First person speaks. All right, all right. So we'll do that that way. Well, the thing about this show is 
season one is about how does one become a hero? I know that because of the comic book, everyone's thinking hero for hire. But what we wanted to do with season one is you have somebody that's reluctant to even be a hero. What pulls somebody out of the shadows? And once they're out of the shadows, what are they going to sacrifice? And even in sacrificing that thing, what's going to keep them pushing forward? And so Luke Cage is a character that's dealt with a lot of tragedy. But there has to be an optimism. There has to be something that propels them forward. And so that's really the thing that we deal is like... I hate to say the Marvel cliche, but it's true. With great powers come great responsibility. One thing that Jeff Loeb always said is that Marvel heroes are um, reluctant from the standpoint of they're not happy to have their powers. I mean, Matt Murdock would much rather see and have his dad in his life. You know, Jessica, as we know from her series, is very ambivalent about being a superhero. And Luke is no different. And so this is really about how somebody without a mask and without a costume is pushing forward in the community that really needs it. Yeah. Try to get a subway and be left alone. Get, get uptown, you know. Just do the normal things that people do. You know, stop in restaurants, have a meal. You know, he doesn't want all the attention that comes with being a superhero, which is a part of the series. That's going to be a part of the experience that we have. And that's part of the story. It's like, you know, once he does step out of the shadows and, and, he, and he takes a hold of the superhero, you know, position, then what does that mean for his, his life, you know? You know, so it's it comes with positives, but there are some negatives, too. <laughs> Negatives? Yeah. Oh, now you need to be specific over here. <laughs> ah, I was hoping you let that slide. I'm like, ah, okay. Well, negatively, I mean, when people like, like when people expect things from you, then now you, you're like a, you're like a, in a sense, you're a role model. I mean, who, who wants to be looked up at, looked up to? You know, because the responsibility is that you have to be better than you know than maybe you are have capabilities of being. Like you, you know, we all have flaws, and Luke is no different. You know, there's a, you know, the part of there's a part of. Um, not give too much away, but in, in one of the episodes, Luke talks about, well, being guilty, being not guilty. What does that mean? We've done things, we've all done things that, you know, we are responsible for and we never necessarily had our comeuppance. And, and so if you get away with it, does that mean you're good because you got away with it? Or if you get caught doing something that you really didn't do and you're being punished for it, but you did, you got away with something else, you know, is this your karma coming back after you? So I think, you know, with him, he's afraid of being held into a higher standard. That's something I don't think anybody really wants. I mean, I mean, no. I mean, we all want to be looked at in some regard as being good people, but when someone shines a spotlight on you and, and, and a microscope is, you know, you put in a microscope, nobody really wants to be examined. And I think Luke is no different. He does not want that attention. And then also, I mean, the thing that we can't forget is something that we also deal with is the fact that Luke is a fugitive. You know, there comes a sacrifice with his power to his freedom because the more people that know about him, the more they could possibly find out the secret he harvests is called Lucas. You know, and. As we explore in the first seven, we're not really talking about it, but you guys have been lucky enough to see, it adds a certain dynamic to everything that he does because, I mean, he really doesn't want this attention and he's got good reasons to not want the attention. Thank you. Um, but that's the thing that he, you know, he does not anyway. And it's really what happens, you know, after episode two that compels him, despite it all, that he cannot just lay back in the cut, as he, as he puts it. I mean, he really has to accept, you know, the responsibility of, of heroism, you know, and heroism stuff. Yeah. Well, Harlem is just like, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's a place that is filled with history. I mean, you know, Adam Clayton Powell is not just this old statue. He actually, you know, walking the streets of Harlem as did Malcolm X, you know, 
Atlanta to have the Malcolm X Boulevard, Martin Luther King. I mean, you you you're both left with political history. You're left with musical history. You're left with just um, crime from the standpoint of Frank Lucas, Nicky Barnes, um, Bumpy Johnson. I mean, probably three of the biggest crime figures in, in American history, in terms of black history, all come from Harlem. So, Gangsters, yeah. Yeah. We really wanted to balance all these things, because the one thing about the Marvel Universe that's different is that it takes place in real New York. And so, we wanted really that whole, you know, the Cotton Club of it all, you know, like which is probably like a big influence on on me in terms of I've always loved. That's one of my, I mean, The Godfather is my favorite Coppola movie, but The Cotton Club is, is another great movie. I don't know if you've, if you've yeah, seen it, but, oh, yeah. but it was Harlem's Paradise is kind of a mix of The Cotton Club and Linux Lounge and, and Shaft, and you know, from the standpoint of you have underworld figures, politics, all in one mix, and yeah, you had you know everything from Wu Tang to Adrian and um, Young and Ali Sheikh Mohammed's score, it's just like, it's, it's on. Uh, well, I have to correct you. I, I did not read the comics growing up. This is, I, I, after I got that role, I started looking at the more recent um, incarnations of the comic. The one, obviously, with Alias, because that's the first thing we tackled with, with Jessica, that character, how he and Jessica's story was, was developed. Um, because that wasn't in the black exploitation 70s, that wasn't there. So this is all like kind of new. And um, how Empower Man looked at some of those comics. So for me, what was re relevant was the fact that we didn't have to adhere to all of the of the history of Luke Cage because it's only applicable to a certain point. We're talking about 2016. So what Chael was able to do because we had sort sort of uh, been given or he had been given the reign to create a world using the characters that already pre-existed and then, you know, fleshing them out, you know, expanding on them, making it work the way he thought it should work to create a story that we were trying to tell that was of, of 2016. So this is a Luke Cage that has been reinvented in a sense and that was what excited me because I didn't want to be, you know, pigeon-held to the, what we was established throughout um, the 70s and later on because it just wasn't necessarily something that, that spoke to me and, nor I think would spoke, speak to the, the society that we live in today So because because of the, the problems we're dealing with right now are real problems and so I felt like it would be necessary to have a guy who was dealing with the world from a real standpoint of like I need to figure out how I'm going to get from one day to the next and, and, and what my struggle is and in having that struggle He's dealing with people in society and the community that have similar struggles that he has. That's what makes him relatable. You know, yeah, he's you know, he's a, he's on a hard he's falling hard times for reasons not you know not of his own of his own um, making. Where yeah, he needs a job, he needs to figure out how to like make ends meet. And but he's a good guy, strong character, wants to do right, wants a chance to do well. But he has to kind of like get over his past, and people have to allow him to get over his past. He's avoiding some things, but ultimately he's a good he's a, he's a good apple. He's a good nut, and so we're trying to figure out how to make this guy grow into this, I would say it's a journey of a man and a superhero, and simultaneously as he grows, you, you find, he finds out who he is, and somehow, sometimes he needs other people to help him find out who he is. There's characters that we deal with that you're going to find that when he comes into contact, they know more about him as a person because they've observed him, and he's going to learn from that, and, and, him, and him learning from that, he's going to start teaching other people about themselves. It's kind of like holding a mirror to yourself, because he wants to create superheroes out of everybody. He's not, he's not trying to be the superhero for Harlem, he's trying to get Harlem as a society and as individuals to start standing up and doing things the right way and, and, and then that's how you that's how you change the community one person at a time the way I kind of look at it is like I kind of look at the story as kind of being like a James Brown record 
from a hip hop perspective. Rather than playing the entire record, you might chop off a little bit of Papa Don't Take No Master. You might take a little, you know, a funky drama, or you might take little bits of it, and then you take the ch and chop the record, and then all of a sudden, out of that, you've made something that sounds different than the original, but you still feel the elements of it. So, in terms of Luke Cage's past, whether it was, you know, the original run in the 70s, um, or, you know, the, the Power Man and Iron Fist comics that I grew up with, really, um, there are elements of that there. We, we, you know, the sweet Christmas, sweet sister of it all is definitely in the show. Yeah. But, at the, you know, but at the same time, you know, and you, you might, without spoiling everything, I mean, you know, there there's some, some, some chain belts and some tiaras somewhere. Yeah. But... At the same time, we really wanted something that Mike was saying that was forward-thinking, modern, and adaptable to what's happening today. Because when people talk about black exploitation, I mean, immediately you think like bell bottoms and, and big, big hair, hair and guns. Giant but you have to look at what black exploitation really was. All it was was it was filmmakers saying, "I want a black hero to have this, to do the same stuff that." Steve McQueen and Sean Connery yeah. and John Wayne get to do. They get to walk in the middle of the screen, kiss the girl, kick ass, yeah. ra rather than, than being somebody that is always carrying water as a comic relief or dies in the first 50, you know, 15 minutes. Yeah. And that's all black exploitation is. I mean, of course, it went in these different directions, but essentially it was empowerment. And so what we did with this show is like you now have a black hero at the center of it. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I always try to say about it is that he's, it's a show that is unapologetically black, but at the same time shows that in being that, there's nothing to apologize for. So it's a, it's it's not, it's a definitely in the deep end of hip hop, but it's not done in a way that alienates anybody. If anything, I kind of feel like a city of God. I, I kind of feel like it's, other entertainment that even if you're not from the culture, there's so much verve and energy, you're gonna want to take the time to kind of learn things about it and kind of get into it. And so, but if you but if you're from the culture, it's like, oh shit, this is like, yeah. you know, this this has an attitude of it. It's kind of the you know Wu Tangification of the Marvel universe. Yeah. You know. So. I, I don't know that was I don't know that was a prerequisite that they keep those slogans or those 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 terms like you know Sweet Christmas and and, and Sweet Sister and all those things, but. We did it, and we owned it, and you know we didn't explain it. It is, it just is. Like nowadays, you know, terms come and go. Like sometimes people say stuff, and you go, "Oh, that's a new term now." You go, "What does that mean?" And that it may stick or it may not stick. You know, back in the day, it was psych. You know, I mean, I just, I was just kidding. Will psych come back? Maybe. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you know, lit's the whole thing. I'm old, so everything's dope. Everything's dope. That's my era. And that's to me. To me, that's gonna stick. It's gonna come back. I mean, you know, one of my favorite black quotation films is Black. Look at Blackula. There's nothing. There's nothing different about Blackula except he's black. It's. A, I mean, the story's the same. He came from. He came from Africa, and you know, instead of Transylvania, and he had. The, he got the girl, and he was. You know, couldn't come out in the in the daytime, and his skin burned. It was all the same, and I didn't think about. It was just Blackula. It's. It, it is. It is what it is. And it's funny because you go with me. He's just playing. That's all. We, that's all it is. It's just you know. That's it. Go with it. Yeah. Uh, so, question specifically for you, since the hip hop thing keeps coming up. Um, 
you're the star of the show, yeah. yet all of the musical sequences in the first half of the season happen without you. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Are <laughs> <laughs> you just like hanging around on set for the scenes that you weren't in just so you can, we can't discuss the plot points. Plot point, but so there's some of those music. Some of those I did try. I did, I did try. Um, I, I, I hung around for several of them. Some of them I missed. Just because it, either I was not around or I, was, I had to, because you know we have two units sometimes, so they would be filming those things while I'm doing something else. So I wasn't able to always be there, but I, when I could, I, I was, you know, because it was, it was it was an event, you know. Somebody's performing, I, if I can, I, I'm coming to see it, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Really? I, what, what, I mean, but that's the what? thing. It's like you know, coming oh, yeah. from from being a, a hip hop journalist and, and kind of being able to just call D nice and be like, hey, D, you know, or you know, the other a lot of friends like like Faith Evans, you know, Raphael Sadiq. I mean, you yeah. know, it's like these are not just figures. They're people that that I that I've known for years. Even with Ali, with Ali Shade Muhammad, I've been writing about a tribe called Quest and Spin That Marauders. I mean, since Lowen theory so it's like is they were being able to just reach into the role there and say like hey can we do this and then have it be cool it's just like it's part of the fun of the show yeah. that you know you never know what to expect <laughs> oh we got to rotate okay i forgot this is not our own table all right no thank you thank you yeah, they don't thank rotate you. guys uh, we got to rotate oh, okay i was like you got you got to tell us to leave right oh, yeah. you're going to tell other people please i'm not going to tell no, us to leave yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah no yeah you guys got to move joseph lee <laughs> and theo rossi Hey guys. Hey everybody. We're wearing shades for our interview. This is it. This is the way it's happening. This is the only way that we can do this. We're keeping a mask in front of ourselves. So if we ever look tense or anything, you don't see it. We are shades. We are shades. Which is so interesting, by the way. I was just saying, learning how to act with, like, I've never, you know, I've worn sunglasses, you know, at different shows where you take them off, and then you kind of do your acting. It really is a whole different thing. You have to actually move your head more to make a point, because it's not, like, all in your eyes and stuff. And it also is, I was actually watching Daredevil to kind of see how he did it. Because you don't realize that he's acting most of the time with his glasses on. And I was like, oh, this Charlie's moving his head a lot more. And he's directing towards someone. Of course, all that. So it is a, that's a whole different thing. You know, I got to tell you, it's funny. When you're in, like, certain scenes that are, like, darker, a lot of the shows, you know, late at night or in clubs and stuff, I have run into many things. <laughs> Like, can we get like a fake pair where I can see it on one side? You don't need the polar, polarized lens on it. But no, it was very. He, I've walked into a few things. There was no method. It was real. <laughs> I played the fifth. No, um, I don't. You know, you know, um, uh, uh, you guys have seen what you've seen, and it's uh, there's there's a lot going on in there. Um, I, I think sort of the, the when we started out to talk about Luke and and how that world was going to be revealed to everybody. It, it's always best to stay as grounded as you can, and, and while there's a long history with this character, um, you know, I think starting out, what we wanted to do was be able to, to to bring to life someone who, if you're a Luke Cage fan, you you it's it was the first question everybody asked, which is who's going to play Shades, uh, and by the same token, it, it was important to us to be able to to allow that character to grow and be integrated, and and when Theo came in, you know, it, it really wasn't. A question of who was playing the part. It was just it simply you know, came in because one of the things that's, that's important to us is that when you look at, at the way that Mike is playing Luke, 
you know, he is a larger-than-life personality. He is a larger-than-life presence. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, we needed somebody who, in many ways, was not intimidated by that. In many ways, that didn't even matter. And, and what was kind of fascinating about the way that, that Theo brought to the role, which was, no, I, I'm actually the hero of the story. So it, it, it's not a problem for me that this this person that's a disturbance and what I need to get done, we'll just eliminate that person and then we'll continue with our story. Yeah, and I think, what, you know, what's, and I say this, and, and I say it every day when I was at work, it's like sometimes you forget that, because you don't think the word superhero, that you're on like a superhero show. You're, you know, you're just in there living in this world that it just so happens that there's a guy in it who's very strong. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, but you're just going about your day doing your thing whatever that is and you just happen to be in this world with people who have these strengths or powers or whatever but to me it was no different than the, you know the same mindset the cunningness and, the, and then all the games that are being played it's just he just happens to, to throw you halfway across the York <laughs> and again I, I mean I think that's what's important about all of our uh, the Marvel television shows, but in particular the, the shows that we're doing on Netflix, is is that it does come from a very real and grounded place, and so it is for all intents and purposes, it's the story of a man who has to accept responsibility for who he is. That's the story. If you watch that story and you're caught up in that story, and then oh by the way, he can also bench press an automobile. That's great, but that's the icing on the cake. If, if what you do is you start from a place of He's got superpowers and he's bulletproof and he's going to come in and there's going to be big giant action. You'll hit an audience. You'll hit the audience that's here at San Diego Comic Con and they'll be very happy with you. But we're trying to tell a story that resonates with everybody. But they probably can't tell you what the story was that they just saw. It was just a lot of action, bang, boom, this, that, and then they don't really remember what was the story. What was the point of that story? And then when you're dealing with one of the greatest comic book writers, you know, and you're dealing with, you know, um, Everything comes from an extremely real place. Every move, every look, everything that happens from minute to minute, every character, as I say, it's about the relationships. It's coming from a real and organic place. That's where you're supposed to start. Because all that other stuff is just bonus. And, and when, we would, when we would talk with our directors, it was, this, it was the thing that we would always try to make sure that they understood, which is it's very important that what happens in this scene has nothing to do with you're on a superhero show. For all intents and purposes, you're watching a crime drama. For all intents and purposes, you're watching a story of redemption. If you can get those things to come across, then everything else will work out fine. The audience will actually suddenly go, oh, we forgot. Oh, oh my gosh, this whole, a fight broke out in the middle of a soap opera. So that's basically what you, you want to have happen. There were times I was watching Jessica Jones and all of a sudden, like, be those rare times when she like, jumps up to the balcony. I was like, oh, man, I totally forgot that you could do that. I didn't even realize that because I'm so into exactly what's happening in her struggle and in her thing. And I think that it's the same with us. Yeah. So that, that's how you know the job is being done. And that's exactly what's, you know, the same exact thing that we're doing here. That's why we're so excited about it. Um, Jeff, can you talk a little bit about actually from a Marvel kind of top-down perspective how, you know, this is the fourth installation in the Netflix collaboration that you guys have done. How you approach kind of the meta-level storytelling? Uh, 
look, it's a very good question, and, and you know, as the person who is the head of television and is responsible for all of that, the the best part about it is is having a great team and having a group of people that that starts with Alan Fine and Dan Buckley and Joe Casada in New York that are that are continually looking after the whole grand scheme of it, but also on the ground level of having people like Jim Corey, who's our head of production, and and uh, Kareem's Rick, who is sort of responsible for the day-to-day of what's happening on the shows. Um, you know, it's those kinds of people that care everywhere that of what it is that we're doing. Is there an overall story that we're telling? There is, but it's also, we have a responsibility to, much like in the comics, to tell stories that will exist on their own. So that if you've seen Jessica Jones and you met Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, awesome. We think that's great. But we can't bet on that. We have to be able to tell a story that when you come into this, you've never met Luke before. You don't know who he is. You don't know what his story is. You don't know what his past is. Some of that stuff we purposely left out of Jessica Jones. Um, But the reason why Mike and Luke were in Jessica Jones was because that's their story. And it was, and Mike said something earlier that I thought was really interesting, which is Jessica Jones was from Jessica's point of view of who Luke Cage is. You didn't see scenes with Luke Cage on his own doing things. Now he comes to Harlem in order to figure out his life. And we are now going to be able to see the world from his point of view. Uh, and in the same kind of way, but you know, next up when we get to see Danny Rand and we get to see the story of Iron Fist, we're going to get to see a whole different view of where these street level heroes are. Uh, and, it, and I think if there's only one meta thing that we do look after is is that you know there's no bigger fan of the Marvel movies than I am. But the, at the end of the day, the Avengers are here to save the universe. In this world, these street-level heroes are here to save the neighborhood. And in some cases, they're here to save themselves. And, and if we can make you care about the people that are in the show, and we can make you care about the hero, it actually, on many levels, you can empathize in what's going on even more so than the giant epic roller coaster wonderfulness that are the Marvel movies. But what's at stake in those movies is so huge and so beyond what it is that we're going to do. And a lot of that also has to do with the fact that we're on television. And because we're on television, it has always been that TV is something that you invite into your home. You're not in a theater with a screen that's 400 feet wide. It's a very intimate experience. And what's more intimate than the way that people are now watching television is they're watching on their phone. What do you do with your phone? You press it against your face. So if if it's going to be that intimate, it better be something that is compelling. Because people need to have a reason to stay and watch. And in our particular case, they have to stay and watch for 13 hours. It's not as though our story is going to get wrapped up in two hours of, of neat little, you know, incredible adventure. Uh, you know, our stories need to be told in a way that you're you are compelled, you are driven, you are absolutely just hungry to find out what's the next episode. And hopefully, when you get to the end, 
to go back and watch it all over again. And that's the humanization of it. And I think that's such a beautiful, you know, uh, what it is. It's how now with television, it's your choice. You're you're going to either go to that next episode or you're not going to. With a movie, you're in it. You sit down, you're in Bad, good, indifferent. We've all walked out of movies and go, oh, man, that was terrible. Why did I just sit there? But you sat there for two and a half hours or three hours or whatever it was. But the television, you got to make people go to that next episode, that next one, the next one. The only way you're going to do that is by getting in touch with the humanity and making them feel something in those characters that relates to them, whether it be reluctancy or taking a chance or heartbreak or something with relationship, anything. Sunglasses, absolutely. Everybody wears sunglasses. Everybody, everybody knows like, what shades are. They might not like them. They hurt your nose sometimes. But you know what? you got to do it. You gotta, it's better for your eyes. And your skin's very soft around um, you know, It's very sensitive. I noticed. I slid down the sun yesterday and they killed me. should have wore sunglasses. should have took my own advice. Um, so so that is, you know, that is such an important point. And I think that that's what's so intriguing about television in general right now. You know, is that people are going there for stories, into the stories, and this is absolutely no different than whatever shows are being awarded, awards, and all this kind of stuff, high drama as they might call it, you know, it's no different than any of this. That's what we're doing. Well, I, Hell's Kitchen doesn't exist anymore because it's all been gentrified, so in order for us to be able to, it, it, it absolutely was. Well, we were shooting in Harlem. Yeah. No, I we we've said from the very beginning uh, that there are really five defenders. There's Daredevil. There's Jessica Jones. There's Luke Cage. There's Iron Fist. And then there's New York City. Um, and it was always intended to be that way. And so. You know, we shoot all over the city. We're on the rooftops. We're in the subways. We're up in Harlem. We're down at the docks. We're we're everywhere that we can go. And so we're trying to get to to a place where it does have an air of authenticity to it. Some of those things you you can't do and are on a stage because it's just you know that's the best way for us to be able to do things. But for the most part, I'm in absolute awe of our production team. Uh, in, in the fact that that you know we try to get out as much as we can, and, and uh, you know I think Theo can speak to that meant being on some yeah. pretty cold nights. We shot in the dead of winter. Yeah, we love. So it's and, and actually that's one of the things that is we were talking about this yesterday is is much like it's very hard to tell it's raining on film unless you actually augment the rain or you light the rain, and sometimes you're sitting there and you're watching and if you're and the problem is, is, if you're paying attention to the rain, then you're not. The drama yeah, is not, not doing working for you. Yeah. But but you can sometimes notice on people's shoulders that they're wet, and you're going, I don't. But it's not. It doesn't look like it's raining. And the other thing that that we've, we found is is that for the most part, you don't see people's breath. And and I'm lucky enough that I'm there in a parka in in Video Village, like looking at a little screen, going, Yeah, we're ready to move on. These guys I are saving I have a thin there. layer of gabardine on the suit between me and that cold weather. Exactly. Cold weather. But with Harlem, it's like you can't fit. If you're from New York, you realize you know when you're in Harlem because the buildings are lower, the streets are wider. It's just a different feel in Harlem than it is, you know, for, say, Staten Island or Brooklyn or Manhattan. You just feel different. And that's why we were so lucky to be up there actually shooting. And it's, you know, it's, it's just incredible to be a New Yorker and, and shoot. The, the, the architecture, the people in the street, the way that the streets are run, 
right? And then just uh, the thing that the word that we always come back to is the musicality of it, which is there's a rhythm to Harlem that is different from anywhere else in that city, and and it and it infected and affected the way that we were making the show, and and that was all Cheo. That was from the very beginning. Cheo came in and just talked about how important music was. Let's go. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Simone Missick and Frank Wally. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. Yes, yes, please. That last table was awful. Were, I don't know what they were drinking. They were drunk. He thought that was water in their cup. Uh, he was putting, uh, put his hand on my knee under the table. I don't think that's inappropriate. He feels uncomfortable. That was yes. my knee. Oh! <laughs> that explains it. Yeah. Thank you. About damn time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so, what did you feel any pressure, or what was that like to kind of take on the role of Misty Knight and that other mantle? You know, I think with everything, there's a certain amount of pressure to be true to who you know the fans love and who the fans want to see. But at the same time, as an actor, you just have a responsibility to tell a story. And so it was exciting to be able to tell this kind of story, to have this character who's got so much history, who's so strong, who's so badass. But then you see the beginnings of where that comes from. I thought a lot about where it came from. Career, New York policeman, moved up to detective, and found his way into you know, Harlem, moved up with Misty, and, and you know they the two of them been together a long, long time and know each other 100 uh, percent in and out, and they got each other's back. I think they love each other, a great deal of respect and regard, uh, and there's that bond that unless you're really a policeman on the force, you can't really imagine what that what that bond is like, the, the amount of trust has to be there, the amount of just knowing where the other person is at all times, and, and, and so, you know, I thought a lot about that, and, and, you know, I think he's a guy with a lot of trouble in his past, you know, a lot of personal demons, a lot of, uh, you know, maybe, maybe some trouble with booze along the way, um, some family issues, divorce, all those things, you know, he's not, he's not a simple kind of guy, he's a very complicated guy, and um, like I say, a great looking man, and that goes with a complicated man, a great looking man, and scarf, yes. Damn no right. one understands him, but his woman, <laughs> and that, you can quote me on that. <laughs> I brought the house down. I brought the house down. And Come we on. did it. Between Scarf and I and Luke. You know, uh, it's all great actors that you're surrounded by. And, and they're all willing to play and they're happy to be there. And nobody's just taking this lightly. So we would have a lot of fun just exploring what wasn't on the page and just asking questions. And we had a lot of great directors who were interested in pulling out different things that weren't necessarily written. Um, but 
you know, Mike is a great person. Like, he's a great head of the show. He does not have an ego. He's not, you know, coming in there and saying, it has to be like this and, you know, let my family do that. Like, it was all fun. So, it was definitely, yeah. So chill, like, for a superhero? Yeah. Very, very chill. Like, you would not, I mean, he's got this big... I really beat everybody up. If I was playing Nick Cage, nobody would be talking to me. Right. <laughs> Everything would be in front of me, and nobody would be here. No. So that is kind of the way he did it playing Scar. Yes. He's like, do not look me in the eye. Yes. Get out of my trailer. No one's allowed to stand in front of me. It's yes. a strange rule. Out of my sideline. Yes. Cameras. Yes. New shoelaces every hour. That's yeah. don't ask. And green M and M. Yes. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. You were awesome. Thank And that thing about the shoelaces is off the record, please. Mahershala Ali and Alfrey Woodard. Uh, no, I didn't. Not, not from any particular one, but I have uh, been involved in the world of politics since actively since I was 14. So I'm around. I was around local politicians then a lot. I was around, you know, state politicians and then national politicians, international politicians. So, so I know how they move and breathe. Mariah is a powerful woman, and she's a woman that grew up in a family where you didn't tell girls to be nice and sit down. Mom Mabel was a powerful woman, so so her fire hasn't been put out. It's been trained in a certain way because she's been sent to good schools. So she understands, okay, power is a mind game. I do run into a bulletproof brother eventually, but but power. So then obviously I got to figure out I need that power on my side. But it is it is a mind game, and so she is. Um, she has she has breeding, but she is a Stokes. She married into the Dillards. She is a Stokes, and so she, we're a family of, of strivers. Cornell is powerful, but he's using the old method of how black men became successful before avenues were opened up to you. So every American fortune is built on quasi-legal activity, some of it outright illegal. The eight families, ten families that have been at the top since the beginning, none of the stuff they did was, was legal. And so imagine a black family decades back, for them to, when, when just our, our presence was illegal, uh, for them to be able to build you know, an empire or something to sit on or something to pass along, well, it had to be built on some quasi-legality. He's still operating in that same realm. I have been sent off to school. We're cousins. We're very close. But like with all cousins, there's, there's certain ones that get sent to the other room when you really want to talk about the stuff you know, the children and the women shouldn't know about. Sometimes one of the girls might get to say, but, but Mariah was sent to the other room and Cornell stayed. And not only that, so he is he has inherited that. It's his job to to maintain the legacy. 
but we're at a point where the struggle is there's a new way of doing this. Let's get political power, is what she's saying. And he's going, I know, this is what we know. This is what I know. So he, for me, he is the man of the family, and I love him. He's doing that. But, but you know, as you see, it's the old and the new butting up against each other. It almost gets into an inability to see where you're coming from because of the exposure that Mariah has to to the world of legitimate business and politics and Cottonmouth always kind of living within this silo and, and going about doing business in a way that isn't always legitimate of, of almost not totally getting where she's coming from sometimes. And well, this is what I know, so this is how I'm gonna go about doing it, you know, and, and how that creates the tension. Um, but yeah, I don't wanna talk too much, I might screw it up. <laughs> I learn about myself in every part. Uh, hopefully, um, whether it's someone who the audience views as a villain, because when you look at a villain, in part, a world is created by every writer, creator, director, or whatever. And so when the audience says, oh, that person is the villain, it's because they have someone who is is the, the moral voice to bounce to bounce off the actions of the person who's deemed as the villain. So, but the, but I myself am not looking at the character as a villain. My first job is to advocate for that character, to to understand where he's coming from and why he makes the choices he makes. But hopefully, I learned from 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 every character, um, and because I feel like I feel like you get what you're supposed to get in your time, and that those characters. Those characters are meant for you to to add something to your life as much as you're there to lift that person off the page and make them a real human being. You know? um, Alvin, can you talk a little bit about these? Kind of one of the first female kind of villain slash antiheroes. How's that feel? Oh, I I am on the up and up. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a New York City Councilwoman. <laughs> Yes, there is quite a strain of corruption that runs through politics. And a very big safe in a very big room. <laughs> but uh, but as you know, I she is she is not villainous. But so but how does it feel being you know I tell you how it feels being in a a, a Marvel um, story with Misty Knight and. Although she thinks she's something, <laughs> but that does excite me with with Misty and 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 them coming off Jessica Jones to Misty. I think I think I think the girls are going to be very excited, and the boys are going to be excited for a different reason. And some of the girls will be excited for all them reasons too. But it's just you feel something is happening. We, we, we're, we're opening a new door, and I think everybody's going to be terrifically excited about it. Between the music, between the stories, between the characters, uh, and the fact that Cheo is such a brilliant writer, and he loved and knows Harlem from its, its inception so much 
It's just, it's like the richest, it's the richest thing I've ever stepped into, frankly. And so, and, you know, and it's bulletproof. So, so there's all that, you know, fighting and stuff happening. It's just, Explode out. Move it over. Explode out. So, so it, yeah, it, it is, uh, you know, but that's not, that's Alfred reacting to that. Uh, Mariah, Mariah wants, one of the things that Alfred wants uh, that, that coincides with that is, I want Harlem to remain Harlem. I want people to come to Harlem and want to be in Harlem and be a Harlemite. I don't want people coming to Harlem. Now, I just bought in 10 years ago. Well, I didn't even buy any. It was my husband. I, was, I said, uptown, I said, you know. <laughs> But it is what you were saying. It's like a neighborhood in New York City, and it's not just a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood with ancestry, cultural ancestry, actual, you know, ancestry. It's it's it is a place that you come. Like everybody, whenever people go to Africa, like I feel they come from Denmark. I feel like I'm home. I feel everybody feels at home in Africa for a reason. And you feel at home in Harlem. And through the years, even when it was, its fortunes were changing, and you might, I'd be scared to be up in Harlem unless I was with somebody, depending on what time of day and where I was, it still was like, well, there's Harlem, I got to go. And so, yeah, and, and that's where you knew you are going to hear the music. It was going to be pure. You're going to have the food. I mean, I can eat it every night, but you're going to have the food. You're going to have, it was going to be, you You could say hallelujah. You could do everything up there. And if you got in trouble, there was one of the best lawyers up there to help set it straight. So, so all that to say, I just, I love that it's not just set in Harlem. It's set in the state of mind that Harlem has been. And so that when people now come to Harlem, they come for that. It involves in the cotton mouth as well. Gotcha. Uh, a lot of that has to do with jail, honestly. And, and in that, um, he just laid the groundwork for me to be able to show up and, and play off of other wonderful actors I got to work with. And um, I think at a certain point, you can kind of hear it. You can kind of hear when it's not when it's not feeling right. And you, you, I feel frustrated when I feel that. And I need that feeling to go away. <laughs> so I just, I, I, cause it's, it's hard for me to go to sleep at night when I feel like I didn't, I didn't at least, whether it makes a cut or not, I gotta, I gotta walk away feeling like we got, it. like we, we and, 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 and then we got it within certain parameters, at least, you know, uh, uh, that we got down to that truth. And sometimes it's a physical thing, sometimes it's a, uh, sometimes it is the writing, and like, oh, can we make a little adjustment here? And then, boom, they change that word and it opens up. But, but Cheo did a wonderful job of, of being, of, of, of really parking out his, his, the, the narrative and, and, and his, really working out his arc and setting the trajectory. And I could see that. I would get, got to rap with him about it from time to time and he clued me in on the stuff that was coming. So it kind of set me up for what was going on in the moment, how, how to help set those things up. But Cheo, like honestly, because, you know, he, he, was, he was 
he was there or emailing or calling or what have you and, and then working off of these other wonderful actors. What helps into character. I don't get into character. Yeah, I was just like, you're telling somebody's story. And I've learned so much. I know who she is because I built her bit by bit. You know, I, I, I start working with dialect. I start at the grocery store as soon as I know what my, per my character is. And I start to toss their, their dialect into my conversation every day. Everybody around me is used to the dialect changing. So that by the time I get to set, it's natural to me, and when I get emotional, it doesn't go away. And so, uh, so I'm already there. I work on her sensibility. I know who she is. She's entire. The character is always entirely different from Alfred. None of us have the same fingerprints. Well, our job as an actor is to stand the character up. And what makes Mariah different when you describe her from any other? middle-aged, successful African-American woman, went to, you know, Penn, went to this. Well, you're still talking several thousand people, if not. So what makes her specific? So when it's time, when I, when I put on that thing, I'm not her. When they say action, that's when I, when I let Mariah speak. Oh, wow, that was wonderful. I, you know, I think there's certain things that I just kind of tune in a little bit to when I get to work. Um, from I make I make a playlist for all my characters. So if I'm in my trailer and I'm playing music that is specific to Cottonmouth, um, but as soon as you start putting on that wardrobe and you get in the makeup trailer and you're looking at your sides, like it's all kind of yeah yeah, it's all kind of dropping in and um, they call action and. You kind of know if you're if you're present as letting that character speak or not, and um, if, it, if it feels like you talking, then we got a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like with a play, you actually put on a character more because you start at the top and you wear it all the way through. But working on camera, it's stop, start, stop, start. If you, you know, I know some actors stay like that, but it's like then then then, then they're not breathing, so it's not flowing. Things have to occur to you. In life, they occur to us. We never know what we're going to say next. And so that's like trusting your instrument and trusting your homework to very done. As soon as they say cut, then you need this action, then it's right there. Ta-da! Where are you writing from? Black girl. And you black girl nerds? Oh, no, I'm hyper.com. Hyper.com. Hyperable. Well, okay. We are so, so excited uh, for people to see this. I mean, it's just like, y'all just have no idea where it's going. It is a new, it is brand, it is brand, brand new. And I think everybody, different ages, different countries, it's, 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 it's a real gift. It's, it's different from the source material, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it also, that doesn't help you act. 
So, so, and they even gave us the complete Luke Cage, yeah. But I didn't, I looked at it afterwards because it's a different genre. And so what is required as an actor and to bring something to life, when I would see the images and the words and the kapows, I can't act that and it takes me out of, but what I can do is, he was able to translate it into a reality. And so he laid those moments in. So the viewer will understand when that moment happens. That does feel lifted off the page of a comment. But 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 as an actor, yeah, you get in trouble. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thank you.